Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech driver Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel or wheel drive. Waitley on SEN. Playing favourites a bit this Wednesday morning. Bruce McAvaney and Robert Craddock are going to join me as our morning unfolds. Here in the States, great friend of the program, always a key guide to us at this time, Brian Curtis, who is the editor-at-large with The Ringer. Brian, great to see you again. So nice to have our annual reunion here on Radio Road, Jared. It's fantastic to see you. Tell me about a, f- a desert Super Bowl. It's the fourth mm. time it's been here in Phoenix. What's the characteristics of what's going to unfold? Well, the last one that was here was a very good Super Bowl. It was Patriots versus Seahawks. And a very ill-advised pass by the Seahawks at the end of the game turned it around. It's um, it's an interesting place for a Super Bowl. The weather is lovely, as you know, from outside. Um, Phoenix has not been a very successful NFL city yes. <laughs> itself. If you walk around outside, you see lots of fans of other teams here, which is interesting. But, no, it's a, it's a wonderful venue. And it looks like the, the perfect matchup from the year that's been. Absolutely. You know this with grand finals and Super Bowls both. There are some years where you have two teams, and they are very worthy of being there. And then there are some years where you have two teams that are meant to be there. This is one of those years. The Eagles and the Chiefs, who have both been basically the best team in their conference all season. And I can't wait for this. I'm so excited. They're an interesting contrast in what do you believe in. So one team has one of the great quarterbacks already, Patrick Mahomes, and the other is more of the collective, the the collective might, particularly of an offensive line. And, and they have a second-round quarterback who's good, but he's not going to be in the conversation of, of one of the true greats. That's exactly right. It's sort of, do you believe in Superman, which Patrick Mahomes yes. is, I think, probably throws a better you know, out pattern than Superman does, or do you believe in a team that really doesn't do anything badly, that does everything really well? they got pro bowlers all over the place. So when I was talking to a Chiefs fan, a friend of mine the other day, I just said, that's what's scary about Philly, and that's what's frustrating about them. They hang around, they hang around, they do everything well. So to beat them, you've got to do things supremely well. They are narrow favourites, but their natural habitat is to be underdogs. So how much... I was listening to your uh, your podcast a couple of weeks ago with one of the, the key writers in Philly as a sports city, and they live their statue of Rocky, they live their underdog status, and they live a certain meanness towards opposition as well. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. The, the great story ever is that Philadelphia once, you know, booed and threw snowballs at someone in a Santa suit who was on the field. And, you know, the legend was they used to have 
this kind of arraignment center below Veteran Stadium, the old vet as they called it. So that if you were drunk or unruly or whatever, you wouldn't even have to go to jail or court. You could be processed <laughs> right on site, which I always thought was fantastic. You know, Philly was the one answer we had to British soccer hooligans, really. And every time I, I, I tell Philly fans, I say, well, this is a crude caricature, of course. I say, what, what caricature are you talking about? It sounds, it sounds like my relatives. Do, do other fans despise them, or what, what's their place in the, in the rival fandom? So that's an interesting question. Philly, if you ask people from there, has always felt like a second city. It's between New York City, it's between, and Washington, D.C., both of which have their own, you know, cachet. Philly is between them and is neither of them. So there is this natural civic inferiority complex, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. So I think the despising comes more from them toward teams like their rivals, the Giants, and the Cowboys, and the Commanders, in this case, the Kansas City Chiefs, than toward them. Yep. That's the Philly mindset. There's a couple of lovely stories here, and I think my favorite part so far is there's a mum who's almost the celebrity so far at the Super Bowl. So last night at opening night in front of seven or 8,000 fans, Donna Kelsey is presented to the crowd. She has a son in either team, and this is the first. So we've had brothers coach, but this is the first time that brothers have played against each other in a Super Bowl. It's a fantastic storyline, and I felt five minutes after the championship games, everyone was saying, jokingly, have you heard the Kelsey brothers are both going to play in the Super Bowl? <laughs> like, knowing that we would have this story for two weeks after this. The other thing that's amazing is they have a podcast and you and i have talked a little bit about athletes toward taking over the media and taking big chunks of the jobs that you and i do well just imagine having a podcast and then you're both at the super bowl i would say that's must listen this weekend and mum is the most unlikely celebrity i think (laughs) she's taken it on quite well but she doesn't look like a showbiz <laughs> mum to me. I was so not. A, she was there in front of a live crowd last night. She was on Sports Center this morning. It is she's clearly embracing her place in it. Isn't that a great trope of sports broadcasting? When we have the sons on the field, then we cut to the mom and yes. the stands cheering loudly. I love it. And Andy Reid is the other big part of this. So much loved coach in Philly, who got close but not all the way. Fourteen years there now. Ten years with Kansas City. I don't think there's any animosity in Philly toward Andy Reid, is there? No, I don't. You know, that's a good question. I mean, probably somebody in Philly is upset. (laughs) So that is the answer to every question. But no, it's funny. He had a great run there. And we all thought he was the get close but not get all the way guy. And then he went to Kansas City and completely reinvented himself with a lot of help from Patrick Mahomes. Another interesting story is the Philadelphia head coach, Nick Sirianni, was a Kansas City Chiefs coach until Andy Reid got there and fired him or pushed, you know, and said, I'm bringing in my own guy. Apparently he was very nice about it, but Sirianni said, last night at media night, I've, I remember, yes. and I have the chip on my shoulder. He's been an interesting character. So I always think that the first press conference of a new coach is almost that election campaign launch. This is what I stand for. This, th- So there are platitudes, don't get me wrong, but sometimes there are those truths which either come back to haunt or light the way. That we, we have a recent example is Craig McRae came to the Collingwood job, massive club, very understated person, nailed his first press conference, and there was this warmth that instantly built and lasted for a season where they achieved great things. Sirianni blew his first press conference rather spectacularly. Yeah, and it's interesting because I wonder 
did he blow it because he was bad? Or do we now expect head coaches to be these offensive geniuses who are very quiet and a little staid and a little remote and look like guys who are pouring through playbooks and analytics and computer programs? And when we see a raw, raw character out of a movie almost, we go, eh, he'll never be any good. And it turns out he's like that all the time. Yep. Every shot, the TV, he cameras catch of him on the sidelines. You and I talk about this all the time, these little TV shots. He, you know, the gum's flying out of his mouth. He's angry. He's happy. He's, that's him. And it's worked. And the night, so the little insight, the night before the championship game to qualify for the Super Bowl, he and his family are watching Rocky Four. So he is the cliche. Oh, my gosh. Philly loves him already. You can tell. It's perfect for him. Uh, on on the TV side of things, so the we've just been up at the Fox Sports setup. I, I've had a chat with Kevin Burkhardt, who's about to call his first Super Bowl. It's been a really interesting dynamic on two fronts here, Brian. What what what's happened with Tom Brady in the last 24 hours? Wow. So Tom Brady not only retired, but he said he's not going to start at Fox until 2024. We thought he might be a color commentator this year. So there's something interesting about that, which is the guy who has been keeping the seat warm for Tom Brady, Greg Olson, who's done a fine job this year, gets one more year at least. And then Tom Brady comes in in 2024, which is a Super Bowl year for Fox. So Tom Brady will be making his debut in the booth and then calling a game for 100 million fans. Which is kind of an interesting way to start your broadcasting career. You've written a great piece about Greg Olson and how across the year he's grown to a position where it looks like he'll be unlucky to lose his job to Tom Brady and there haven't been, there's no figure in football who could have ever, ever said that before. Isn't that amazing, putting Tom Brady on the bench? I mean, he's, he's done such a good job this year. He's been very smart about football and he's done something you and I, when we are writers, when we have that hat on, are doing, which is editing ourselves and making everything shorter and smaller so that people can understand what we're talking about. He's been awesome. Another big television figure in the NFL, the biggest. He led the revolution on the, the pay scale here, and that's Tony Romo. His first Super Bowl was Atlanta, and my vivid recollection is for all that happened that week, he felt like the biggest star. He was the one that you couldn't get near. And this was a Brady Super Bowl, mind you. You, if we had a chat before. Approval rating at the start, 100%. Everybody loved Tony Romo. Has that been in decline? Yeah, I think I'd put it about 38%. Right. Um, and it's another interesting little story, which is that somebody who came in, was so friendly on television, had so much enthusiasm and wanted to be there, which I think us media professionals in sports have to remind ourselves. People don't want to hear us being grouchy and grumpy and distant. They want you to act like this is a dream job because it's, it is a yeah. dream job. And it's a lot of other people's dream jobs, too. Here's the problem with Tony Romo. He kind of stopped studying and stopped you know, doing all the work he needed to do to be a great announcer. So when you saw him call the AFC Championship game right before the Super Bowl the other day, it was you know, him going on and, oh, Jim, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know, emotion substituting for preparation and you can't fake it in front of 50 million fans and in america we have this very interesting culture where we not only get mad at teams for losing we get mad at the announcers for doing a bad job so on twitter and in various columns and everything tony romo got absolutely crushed for that performance It, it is such an interesting level of analysis that takes place i don't think it's like 
it doesn't have that depth to it in Australia, but it yeah. is a whole industry here. Are you thanking your lucky stars that <laughs> Maybe. Every, every single call of yours doesn't get a newspaper <laughs> Maybe. Call? The other superstar who's in the limelight right now is LeBron James tonight has the chance to break the the point scoring record in the NBA. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar holds that mark. He needs 36 points against the Thunder tonight. And to watch the build-up is... Uh, I know I'll talk to Bruce McAvaney later on. He called plugger Tony Lockett broke the goal-kicking record in the AFL, and that was a real moment in time. Well, how big could tonight be in America? Absolutely huge. And, you know, you don't need me to tell you about how great LeBron James is as a basketball player. We all know that. I think what's amazing about this record is the span of time that LeBron James has been with us. Literally two decades. Yep. And I guess it would be even more amazing if Tom Brady had not also been with us for two decades and was just hanging it up. But you just think of like how much in all of our lives has changed since LeBron James started playing in the National Basketball Association. So much, right? You know, I was I was just out of college, you know, when he started playing. I didn't wasn't married, I didn't have kids, like and here he is and still playing very, very well. Not an old guy playing out the string to break records, playing it at an absolutely top level, even if his team hasn't quite been that good. Is it a big TV event tonight, do you think? I think so, um, on by basketball standards anyway. Yep. You know, it will break through as you and I are sitting in the epicenter of content right now. So anything that sort of noses its way in counts as a victory. Brian, it's always great to catch up. Thanks for taking the time. I'll see you throughout the week. Absolutely, Jared. Great to see you too. Brian Curtis is the editor at large with The Ringer. His Greg Olson pieces online. It's, it's a rip-up. Well worth checking out. Here's the news with Anna Pavlin.